Thanks, Esther, uh, for bringing that reading to us. Uh, we're going to gather around God's word now. And, and I just want to say at the beginning that um, uh, the original plan was that it wouldn't be me today that we would have our friend uh, David Shannon uh, uh, preaching for us this morning. Uh, many of us know uh, David and Glenda. David uh, preached for us, uh, I think, about a year ago now when we were at St Stephen's. Uh, David and Glenda live in Upperthorpe with their daughter Joyce and, uh, and they're, uh, uh, one of the things that we're really encouraged by them is how they are gathering a community of faith uh, from, from many people who live in our neighbourhood uh, from across a whole range of nationalities and uh, what they're doing is really exciting and it's my hope uh, that we'll be able to support them and, and even partner with them as we go into the future. But David can't be with us uh, this morning, uh, they've had a bit of a crisis during the week. So uh, as we begin and as we gather around uh, God's word this morning, uh, I wonder if we can pray for them uh, just as we pray for ourselves. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for David and Glenda and, uh, and for the gift that they are uh, to this neighbourhood and to your people. And we ask, Lord, for your blessing upon them, uh, that you, they may know your tangible presence uh, in their home this morning. And uh, we pray that, uh, that, that they would have the comfort and peace and all that they need uh, to rejoice in you. And Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. May it be a light for our path. May it be food for our soul as we gather around it this morning. Amen and amen. Uh, well, as you may know, our current uh, series of teaching and talks that we're looking at is a, is a series which is meant to be something of a resource for discipleship. Uh, we are disciples of Jesus. We are students of Jesus. And so our ambition is to understand the world as he understood it and to embrace his truth as truth. And uh, so what we've been doing is we've been looking at how uh, God, uh, uh, how how we we see God as revealed through Jesus. We we've looked at how we follow the God who speaks to us. We follow God who made us. Uh, we we follow God who reaches out to us uh, even when we, as His children, rebel against Him and want to do it our way. Uh, we follow God who is who is present in history, uh, both in the deep history of the Old Testament and especially in that moment uh, when he walked as one of us and died as one of us. Uh, and throughout all this, this time of uh, having this, this series, we've been inviting uh, questions and comments. And uh, so what I want to do this, uh, this morning is to begin with a question that Claire raised last week as, uh, in the teaching and the talk that was brought last week, and which a few people have sent in an inquiry to me about that during the week. And if you'd like to send in any questions or thoughts, uh, please get in touch with me and the details are there. The question that was raised and that was sent in was this, did Jesus have to die? I mean, it's clear that he did, and Claire showed us last week the impact and the importance and what that tells us about the love of God. But was it necessary? And it's a, a good question to begin with uh, because if we begin here, we can move on uh, to the thoughts we have for today. Because the answer to this question is yes. Yes, he did. Of course, he, he didn't have to in the sense that he was forced to, his death was entirely an offering and a gift. But for Jesus to do what he desired to do, 
To follow the heart of the Father meant that he set his face towards the cross. Not my will but yours be done, he freely prayed. So think of it this way. If the heart of the gospel is a rescue, the author of life was born as one of us. He came to us so that he might lead us into freedom. And if we need freedom, then what is holding us captive? The human predicament is one of sin, of brokenness and injustice. And it's not just the brokenness and the injustice that we see around us and perhaps what has been done to us. If we're honest, we're also aware of a sense of our own corruption. Jesus rescues us by entering into that captivity. Not that he entered into our corruption because he was a perfect person, but he entered into the burden of it. If we can imagine the dark side of this life as being something like a prison, then Jesus came into our cell. So to share in the burdens of our captivity that he lifted it from our shoulders. We find ourselves free in him. The worthy king, he gives himself for his people. He takes responsibility for us, carries our burden and turns it around so that we are free. And the thing is this, he does that totally. He doesn't just come into our cell and puff up our pillow and make the food better. He doesn't half do it. To the extent that we are bound and broken is the extent to which he gives himself. And if we are bound and broken by sin and death, then he enters into and under the power of sin and death. He dies the sinner's death. He dies and so undoes the power of it from the inside. If he hadn't have died, then death would not have been defeated. Jesus had to die. If Jesus didn't die for us, then the power of death remained. But as Claire pointed out, he did die. He went in all the way. He gave of his entire self. He fathomed every depth. There is no part of our human existence and our experience that is not impacted by the extent of his self-giving love. And in the end, when he cries out to the Father and says, into your hands I commit my spirit, he is committing not just himself, but all of us that he carries with him into the Father's arms. That is the cross of Christ. That is his self-giving death. But think about how might God the Father respond to this which Jesus has done. We have to remember that God's desire is to bless. He made us in his image and his desire is for his divine image to so resonate with his, his divine image in us, to so resonate with the divine reality in him that he, we are known and know him in the midst of that communion and that harmony with him. 
His heart is to pour out all of his power and goodness into a fullness of life in we, his people. That is his life-giving heart. His heart is to bless. And that's exactly why he can't ignore sin. How can he give his power to that which is broken and even harms? How can he give his name to that which does not match his character? But to that which is restored, to that which has been made holy, well, there God's life and love freely flows. Which is why, as the God of history, he says to Abraham, he makes a promise to him. He says, I will bless you to be a blessing. I will pour out my life through you and your family to the whole world. And it's why he says through Moses to his people, follow my law, do what is good and right and be holy, and I will fill you with my power and joy and with the fullness of my spirit. I will be able to bless. And so there at the cross, receiving the spirit of his perfect son who has laid down his life and has fathomed every burden and every strength of sin and death. Here, here is a worthy vessel of righteousness. Here is the one in which God the Father can pour out himself. Here is the one who has offered himself. And you can almost imagine the father weeping and crying out, yes, as he pulls the, pours out the fullness of his eternal life into the body of Jesus, the Messiah, our King. Jesus did not raise himself from the dead, you see. The father raised him. The father blessed him. The Father lavished upon him all the fullness of life that is in the Father's heart. And so he didn't just make Jesus' heart beat again and his lungs breathe again. He so filled him with the fullness of life itself that it was a life magnified, a life times ten, times a hundred, times a million, a life that is eternal life. And it's this eternal life that Jesus shares with us, the ones for whom he died. As we entrust ourselves to him, as we die to ourselves and live for him, we find this poured out blessing is also ours, our truth, our real, our present reality. No wonder Paul says in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that will mean you are saved. The resurrection of Jesus is simply the beginning, the middle, and the end of what it means to be a Christian disciple. Without it, we are nothing. You see, we see all that in the reading that we had this morning. When Paul writes to his brothers and sisters in Ephesus, and uh, he, he, he talks about these things, and he uses slightly different words. He doesn't talk about resurrection life, but he does say this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. 
Can you see there the heart of the Father that wants to pour out life that fills us with every spiritual blessing? That's the resurrection life poured out of God's creative power and presence into a people who have been made holy and blameless in his sight. And that blessing upon blessing is the fact that we have an adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. All of us, men, women, boys, girls, sharing in the intimate family of the Trinity itself. In this blessing, we have redemption and forgiveness of sins, a fresh and clean heart. We have the riches of God's grace that are lavished upon us. That is what we're meant to be about. The people who know the riches of God's grace lavished upon us. And we have wisdom understanding as part of those riches because he has made things known to us. He has spoken to us. And his desire that to see all things come into unity under Christ. In other words, to see God's kingdom come which is what we pray every week and it's what we yearn for and what we long for. This is what we believe. This is what we're about. Learning to understand and apply and work out this truth is the utter essence of what it means to be followers of Jesus. Everything else derives from that. All of our churchy activity, from our worship to our fellowship to our activism and our good works is grounded in this truth. And wherever it isn't, we find ourselves that we remain stuck, bound, not lavished with the graces of God, even complicit with the idolatries and cruelties of a sweet and sickly world. But this resurrection life, you see, this blessing upon blessing is not theory. It is real. It is not abstract. And each one of us must grapple with what it means for our life as individuals, as households, and as a community together. So I want to ask, what does this redeeming, lavished, poured out blessing of grace made real in the resurrection of Jesus mean for you? When I think about that question, I think of it like this. I, I know the shape of the prison that I was in before Jesus rescued me. Its bars were all manner of anxieties and fears. I shared that cell with my daddy issues, resentful of being misunderstood and rejected. I shared that cell with lusts and false comforts. I shared that cell with pride and a clamouring to be known as strong and clever so I could be safe in my own strength. And it led to all sorts of corruption. And I can tell you, and I'm sure you're aware, of the shape of the prison this world is in. For sure, I can think of a number of places and times when there has been some generous human decency, even in this last few months, even in this last year. I mean, Captain Sir Tom Moore, we, we salute you. But I look around me and I see a generation and a geography that is bound captive by prison bars and that are in this world that are broken and rebellious to the life of God. Sin abounds, selfishness abounds, 
The prison bars of this world are where we prostrate ourselves in front of those old idolatries of money, sex and power. And we can see how this works from the lowliest place to the highest office in the land. This world yearns for its redemption. Yet this I believe, Jesus' death fathomed all of that. And this we believe, his resurrection life turns it all around. Next week, we are going to be looking at what it means to pursue God's life-giving mission and to bring the news and the reality of that blessing to the world around us. But this morning, we have to realise that it begins here, in us, in our hearts, in our homes, and in our church community. And here's the grace of it. It means we have not been left powerless. We have not been left alone. God's resurrection life has been given to us. Jesus is with us now. And even though we can't see him, there's to some degree and in many ways, he is present with us now more than he ever was when he was in his flesh and blood. Now he is with us by his spirit, in, with, around and among us. This is the life-giving power of the presence of God to us right now. Just as Dilla shared with us this morning, with you right now, in your home, where you are. You see, we can preach and we can teach and we can learn and we can try and we can do and we can seek and we can do our good works and work our activism and we can and we should. But you know as well as I do that without the Spirit of God, it always falls flat. It is the Spirit of God who awakens justice. It's the Spirit of God who frees us from our fears and our burdens. It's the Spirit of God who opens our eyes to the truth of his life-giving word. It's the Spirit of God who leads us on our path of discipleship. It is God with us who grows us and matures us and leads us into wholeness and healing and to bear the fruits of his Spirit, joy and gentleness and kindness and all that is good. And all of that is an outpouring, if you like, a jet stream that comes off the great reservoir of life that is in the resurrection of Jesus. It's the spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead who is in us, helping us to dare to receive the love of God and to cry out, Abba, Father, I am yours. And it's the anointing of that spirit, the spirit of Jesus, who equips us to act as prophets and teachers and shepherds and healers and all those gifts that will bear witness to the blessing of of that his resurrection life is real. For Paul, the Holy Spirit is God's presence, a sign and a seal, a guarantee that this is all true. So as I finish, I simply want to articulate a desire that's always been, that's, all, that's been already uh, talked about this morning. As we come out of this season and go into the unknown that lies ahead with a commitment to be his disciples, my desire is this, that we would be turning to Jesus as the one who is with us in power. We do a good job often of talking about Jesus. We do a decent job of wrestling things through and trying to organise ourselves. 
but I wonder sometimes about how much we hold him in the third person when the reality is that Jesus is with us. The spirit of Jesus is with us, with you right now. Let's act like he's actually in the room. So as we finish, why don't we turn to him now and speak to him as we pray. Lord Jesus, you have entered into and fathomed the darkness that's not just in my life but in this world and you have therefore been the victor over it. Lord, as we seek to be yours and to work in the truth of the lavish grace that is ours through you as your Father raised you from the dead, Lord, let us see your face. By your Spirit, awaken our eyes, open our our hearts, help us to thirst for you. That holding your hand and knowing your love for us, we may rest in you and be empowered by faith. In Jesus' name, Lord, in your name, we pray. Amen.